Tumor Talks, a podcast about clinical cases in oncology, and we are your hosts. I'm Dr. Kathy Marshall, a medical oncologist. I'm Dr. Beatrice Wills, a medical oncologist and hematologist. And I'm Dr. Jonah Amata, an internal medicine resident physician. Hi, everyone. Today, we're welcoming back Dr. David Campson, Assistant Professor of Oncology and Neurology at Johns Hopkins. And today, we're going to be talking about meningiomas. Um, so, Dr. Campson, can you tell me about the epidemiology of, of meningiomas and how they're often diagnosed? Of course. So, meningiomas are the most common primary intracranial tumors, and uh, they represent more than one-third of all intracranial tumors. Um, this uh, translates to about 27,000 new diagnoses uh, every year. And most of these uh, diagnoses are grade ones, representing about 90%, about 10% are grade two, and 1% or fewer patients have a grade three meningioma. These tumors are more than twice uh, more common in women than in men and their incidence sharply rises in the perimenopausal years. Meningiomas are also more common among people with sub-Saharan African genetic heritage. Unfortunately, it's also understudied and under, uh, under, uh, it's less understood in this population. I did not realize it was that common. How are they usually diagnosed? So, this is what sets uh, meningiomas apart because the diagnosis can be uh, made uh, radiographically. And as the lifetime risk to develop these tumors is about 1% to 2%, most providers who order brain scans diagnose the couple during their careers. So these, these lesions are usually found on MRI in the context of evaluation for headaches or other indications. But larger calcified ones can also be diagnosed on head CT after minor head trauma, as, as you can see in the emergency room. So what's the initial workup then if you do incidentally find one of these? And, and what imaging is best to use for diagnosis? So the, the best imaging modality is, is MRI with contrast. And uh, contrast is the key because uh, it really helps highlight the lesion. And the MRI has some very typical characteristics uh, for these tumors, although none of these are epithelomonic. But the buzzwords are durally attached, uh, homogeneously enhancing lesion that has a dural tail sign and has a cerebrospinal fluid cleft, and it may be calcified. So, um, just to go over what these mean, so dural attachment is uh, self-explanatory. Homogeneous enhancement means that the enhancing signal is the same across. If, if there are more heterogeneity, that raises suspicion for an alternative diagnosis. And the dural tail sign um, is one of the classical findings that is present in about 60% of meningiomas. It essentially means that you have a, this durally attached lesion that has a tail these tails enhance contrast more intensely than the, the tumor, the, the lesion itself. The tails are thought to be due to vascular changes rather than tumor. So, so the dural tail does not contain meningioma cells. And the cerebrospinal fluid cleft is seen on T2 images best. 
And it just so shows a signal around the lesion that is consistent with CSF. And that's just a corroboration that this tumor is not inside the brain parenchyma, but it is outside, so it's an extra-axial lesion. Uh, the presence of calcification, it can be seen in uh, older patients with, with more indolently growing tumors, so it's, it's generally a positive thing to see. So, so those are the, the major imaging findings. Now, the, the, the question is whether there are additional imaging needed. Not necessarily, so it depends on a number of factors. Is there any other workup that's needed? You mentioned oftentimes it's diagnosed just based on radiology, so it sounds like um, tissue is not usually required for this, or, or is it? Tissue is not required. Sometimes additional workup is justified. So additional workup can come in two forms. One is additional imaging. So sometimes body staging with CT chest, abdomen, and pelvis with contrast can be justified because meningiomas and solitary fibrous tumors uh, can appear very similarly, but solitary fibrous tumors are often uh, have uh, extra cranial metastases such as in the chest. So if there are suspicions and the lesion is larger, it is justified to stage the body. It, it is also important to, to mention that meningiomas are one of the rare tumors that produce uh, collision tumors. So uh, metastases can happen into meningiomas. There are many cases of breast cancer uh, metastases into meningioma itself in the literature. Um, the other question is, and this is the most important part, because again, uh, many of us will deal with an incidentally um, diagnosed meningioma, is, uh, is there follow-up needed? And so the, the next potential uh, tool in the workup would be a follow-up image. Um, and it really is determined by some of the hints that one can see on imaging. According to the NCCN guidelines, uh, lesions that are smaller than three centimeters in their largest diameter can be conservatively monitored, and there's no additional or no immediate uh, surgical in intervention needed. But there are some really handy prognostication or predictive tools available in the literature. My favorite one is uh, published by Yoon Jung Lee uh, in Neuros Journal of Neurosurgery in 2017. And is the, it is the ASEN Intracranial Meningioma Scoring System, or AIMS. It considers a number of factors, such as tumor size, presence or absence of calcification, peritumoral edema, uh, T2 intensity, and, and it, these parameters add up to a score uh, that group these incidental meningiomas into low-risk, intermediate, and high-risk patients. And um, these can help predict which patients need to be uh, closely monitored. Patients who have low risk have less than 10% risk of uh, rapid growth. So for many of them, possibly no follow-up imaging is needed, but the most uh, cautious thing to do is repeat an MRI in about six months, confirm that the lesion is not growing, and then further uh, follow-up may, may not be necessary. Whereas if the tumor is high risk, 
uh, closer monitoring and even surgical intervention can be justified. Is there any molecular testing that's relevant or any biomarkers? So, so there are a couple of biomarkers markers uh, that that it, that is emerging is uh, SSDR2 or somatostatin receptor 2. So the vast majority of meningiomas, probably more than 70, 75% of them express somatostatin receptor. And um, it is uh, a receptor that can also be detected using octreotide or other somatostatin-based scans. So, so that is a biomarker that corroborates the diagnosis of meningioma. And then uh, molecularly, uh, more than half of meningiomas have uh, NF2 gene mutation. Um, these are usually uh, affecting the convexity. And um, there are a set of other alterations that are often seen, like AKT1, TURD mutation, smoothen mutations. Uh, but the, from a practical perspective, the key thing to also look for on imaging is uh, hallmarks of uh, neurofibromatosis type 2, such as multiple meningiomas, uh, which are not seen in 90% of the cases in, in sporadic uh, meningiomas, as well as uh, the presence of uh, vestibular schwannomas, for example, or other intracranial uh, tumors and family history that is positive for either NF2 or meningiomas. And if uh, you find one of these incidentally, who should you, you know, who would a, a physician refer a patient to? So these patients are generally managed by neurosurgeons. It's a relatively easy procedure to remove some of them, especially if they are in the convexity or at the calvarium. Uh, Skull-based meningiomas are uh, significantly more difficult to, to, to manage, but the first step is to uh, get a surgical opinion and sometimes uh, radiation uh, oncology steps in as well, especially if uh, there was a subtotal resection. Uh, the role of systemic therapies is not uh, established yet for these tumors. So it's a subject of intense research right now. Great. Well, thank you so much. And we hope to have you back on soon. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So to recap, meningiomas are the most common primary intracranial tumors more common in women than in men. Diagnosis is usually made radiographically, and the diagnosis of meningiomas are usually found on imaging or trauma surveys in the ED or an MRI or CT obtained after headache workup. Workup usually includes an MRI with contrast with specific findings to meningiomas, including a durally attached, homogeneously enhancing lesion with a dural tail sign and a CSF fluid cleft. Tissue is usually not required for diagnosis, but additional workup may include a staging CT chest, abdomen, pelvis, because solitary fibrous tumors can appear the same. There are many predictive tools for meningiomas, but Dr. Kempton recommends the AIM score. Note, higher risk features usually requires closer monitoring and more aggressive treatment. There are some important biomarkers for meningiomas, including SSTR2, which is usually uh, presenting in 70% of meningiomas. 
Referrals that are important include neurosurgery and radonc sometimes and subtotal resection. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Tumor Talk. See you next time. A special thanks to Primo for recording and composing our background music. Tumor Talks is an independent podcast that does not represent the institutional views or opinions of our employers, Johns Hopkins Hospital or Memorial Sloan Kettering, or that of our guests.